or as Mario likes to say, here we go. Welcome to Tencent Takes, the show where television and comics collide one issue at a time. My name is Jessica Frazier, and I am joined by my co-host, the boob of the tube himself, Mike Thompson. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> no, it's it's a nice thing. <laughs> okay. Only because you reassured me. I'll trust you. Yes. <laughs> you wouldn't mislead me. I wouldn't mislead you. I'm not the villain here. Am I the villain? <laughs> Am I the bad guy? <laughs> oh, well, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm okay, yeah. If you're new to the show, our main episodes drop every other week and provide in-depth looks into interesting moments in comic books and how they tie into pop culture and history. But today is one of our Dollar Bin Discoveries mini-episodes that we do in between these deep dives. We spend a lot of time rooting through Dollar Bins at local shops looking for interesting stuff. And while a lot of the issues we find are fun and weird, there may not be enough for us to do a deep dive on at the moment. But we do reserve the right to change our mind later. Each episode will feature both of us talking about one random issue we came across in the Dollar Bins, one that fits a theme that one of us chose... I chose this week, and it's TV show spinoffs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about what it is, what goes on inside it, and why it's interesting. These are many episodes that are meant to provide you with some weekly content between our more in-depth discussions about the weirder and more interesting moments of comic book history. So, Mike, what spinoff do you have for us this week? Man, I got to say, it was really hard narrowing down what I was going to talk about because I have so many comic books that are tied into various TV shows. Mm-hmm. I I finally settled on Superman Adventures number five. This has a cover date of March 1997, was written by Scott McCloud, penciled by Brett Blevins, inked by Terry Austin, colored by Marie Severin, lettered by L. Lois Buhalas, and edited by Mike McCavaney. The cover was also penciled by Rick Burchett and was inked by Terry Austin, just to throw that out there. So Superman Adventures was the comic based on Superman, the animated series. The issue takes place after the episode Livewire, which introduced the electricity themed supervillain Livewire, who was voiced by Lori Petty in the show. So, you know, acclaimed actor of our time, Lori Petty, who I love and adore mm-hmm. and is one of Sarah's favorite actresses just for Tank Girl. Nice. Yeah. And then this is the character's first appearance in comics. So the issue begins with Livewire, who is still catatonic a few months after her TV series debut in a hospital bed with a radio playing nearby. A shock jock is railing about feminism and how women want equal rights. It's pretty clear that they're like poking fun at Rush Limbaugh or someone similar from that era. And Livewire suddenly like vanishes in a blaze of lightning blasting into this thunderstorm outside. And we then cut to Lois Lane at her computer when Livewire appears on her monitor and jumps out of the computer to talk to the reporter. Livewire says she's a new woman, she's fully reformed, and she wanted to let Lois know that she has a cause now. And then she makes an ominous comment about how men have gotten to be on top for the last few thousand years and says it's time for women to have their turn. And then she vanishes after telling Lois to watch the TV for what's next. Lois turns on the TV, but only gets static. 
And we find out from a news report the next day that Livewire is actively censoring radio, television, and newspapers featuring men. Reporter Angela Chen explains in a TV report that anytime a man appears on screen, it'll cut to static. Meanwhile, male reporters at the Daily Planet are finding that their stories are getting deleted as soon as they save them. Angela then notes that they're going to a male reporter for more on the story, and it immediately cuts to static before coming back to Angela. And she's like <laughs> trying not to laugh while thanking him for his informative report. It's very cute. I liked it a lot. I'm not going to lie. This issue was a real pleasant surprise. I'll talk about it in a little bit. Meanwhile, at the Daily Planet, Superman and Lois talk about what's going on. Lois notes that it's like live wires everywhere and nowhere at once, but she's keeping tabs on the power plants since the villain does need to recharge her power. And she gets a call from one of the plants that Livewire has made an appearance. And so Superman shows up to stop her. He like, you know, Kool-Aid mans his way in through a wall and then is immediately going after her. I'm like, oh I don't know, God. man. <laughs> I feel like there's a better way to do this, but okay. <laughs> Livewire actually mops the floor with Superman. And then we cut to Lex Luthor, who is getting a massage and living his best life as he watches Livewire brag on TV about how she clobbered the Man of Steel. Superman shows up. He like walks in and asks for Lex's help. And Lex acknowledges that Livewire is actually costing his media divisions a lot of money, but it's almost worth it to see Superman put in his place. So <laughs> also very good. But he does agree to lend Superman some electromagnetic prototype weaponry. And then we shift over to Lois and Angela watching Livewire on TV. The two women debate the merits of the villain's plot. Lois says that this is censorship, pure and simple. But Angela notes it's actually nice because she's getting to do some real reporting and getting taken seriously as a journalist. And then Angela says that journalism is all about taking opportunities when you get them, while Lois says, I thought it was about the truth. And then Livewire appears in the lightning blast and goes, you're wrong. It's all about power. Oh. <laughs> and then Lois tells Livewire that Superman's challenged her to a battle to the death and how he said something about how no woman could ever beat him. But after Livewire teleports away angrily, Lois is like, Superman didn't actually said that. He never would, but he wanted the villain to, to think that he said that. <laughs> it's it's actually kind of cute. Livewire then teleports into the Metropolis Music Hall and starts attacking Superman on stage in front of news cameras that have been set up. Neither opponent seems to be getting the upper hand, but then Superman reveals the ace up his sleeve, which is Lex Luthor and the scientists. They've set up equipment to make it impossible for Livewire to escape. So she's like burning through her energy as she tries to kill Big Blue and then she can't get away and recharge. And finally, Superman manages to kind of like restrain her. And then Luther has his men fire, I guess, like an electromagnetic ray gun and nearly kills Livewire. And this is where things get really interesting. Superman calls for paramedics and yells at Luther. And then Luther tells his enemy that he should think of this as a favor from the old boys network. Superman immediately is like, get the fuck out. And as Luther leaves, Whoa. he calls for his henchwoman, Mercy Graves, to follow him. And she lingers for a second. She's like clearly torn about this whole scenario. And then Angela Chen, meanwhile, is giving her news report. And now that Livewire is like out of commission, the anchor who normally covers this stuff comes in and literally like shoulders her off camera. And he's like, I'll take it from here. And a uh seething Angela asks Lois to accompany her while she goes to get some air. And Superman observes all this and he's like clearly upset, but he doesn't know what to do. And it's actually a really nice moment where you see a close up on his face and he just, he feels like really powerless, but he has witnessed this. Yeah. And finally, the paramedics that have live wire in their ambulance are on the road and they're making a bunch of sexist comments about how women, 
you know, they need to know their place. And the final panel shows her eyes flashing with electricity when one of them notes that it's a man's world and that's how it ought to be. The end. Mm. So this issue was actually kind of surprising. I was expecting something a bit more shallow where everything would be tied up neatly in a bow at the end. But there's some really nice, subtle moments like that conversation between Angela and Lois. And I loved how the artwork looked like something straight out of the cartoon, which, by the way, like Superman, the animated series still holds up really well. Mm. You can watch it on Max now, and it's great. I still own it on DVD and I love it. And nice. this is actually a spec book now because it's Livewire's first appearance in comics. It's normally going for like 40 to 50 bucks on eBay raw. And I found a really nice copy in the dollar bins when Harvey Doss had their dollar bin warehouse sale back in October. Sarah and I went the day after our wedding reception. Yeah. Yeah. And like, also I want to give Harvey Doss like a special shout out because they literally gave Sarah and me comic books to use for our wedding decorations. They gave us a bunch of wedding themed like X-Men comics when I, when I actually, so when I just sweet. messaged them to, to ask if they had any for sale. Yeah. They are a local shop in Rohnert Park. They are owned by this really nice couple, Harvey and Megan. Everybody should follow them if they get a chance. They do Instagram live and whatnot sales, as well as selling on eBay and Hip Comic. And they are constantly buying giant collections with lots of really cool stuff that they put up for sale. So anyway. Very nice. Yeah. Now that I have waxed quite a bit about this, what are you bringing to the oh table tonight? God. Well, a lot was going on in that issue. Yeah. So, I mean, I understand why why you were waxing. It was shockingly, like, good. And I, I really yeah. liked how, like, it has kind of a complicated, messy ending. Yeah. Yeah, I do like when the character is somewhat conflicted about his role or lack thereof yeah. within a situation. I think that's... Especially for someone like Superman, who can be very black and white, like lawful good you know mm -hmm. it feels really really human to make him a little bit more complex like this superman is a character that is very easily to write badly but when people actually understand what makes him great which is not his powers it is it is his morality it is how he behaves even though he knows that he's the most powerful being on the planet i think that's when we get the really good stories from him yeah i mean I like i i weirdly i realized this year that i think i have more superman comics than anything else in my collection well that's interesting yeah it, you know part of that is just because there's so many out there like there's you know right thousands tens of thousands i don't know but as a result there's just kind of that higher percentage for like really good stories yeah yeah that so makes sense sorry <laughs> so this week I'm bringing you all new Firefly issue number one. It mm -hmm. was published in February of 2022 by Boom Studios. I did find right. this in the dollar bin. Created, of course, by Josh Wheaton. Well, uh, uh, written, but I know. I'm sorry. But I listen, don't think he owns the better. rights, though. Like, I think I think it's owned no, by Fox. They always just put the creative, like, yeah, by. so silly. Yeah. So it gets better, though, because it was written by friend of the pod, David M. Boer. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. Illustrated by Jordi Perez, colored by Francesco Segala, with color assistance by Gloria Martinelli, lettered by Jim Campbell, designed by Madison Goyette. Assistant editor was Gavin Groenthal and edited by Elizabeth Bray. 
We start off seeing Jane Cobb's early childhood in Juneau, stealing from a local apothecary to try to get the medicine that his sister needs for her damp lung. Hmm. He's caught when he runs directly into Father Franklin, who tells him that he has to show up the next day for penance with the church, as that was the punishment for stealing in this religion-based society. His mother was trying to protect him from both the financial hardships that they were facing, as well as the danger of becoming an outlaw in the society. So 30 years later on Lilac, which is the second moon of New Canaan, Jane is all grown up and still getting into trouble. While in a bar, he's approached by a man with a beef against him, stating that his brother and their planet had faith that Jane would come back to get them, only to die without their savior who had been promised to return. Huh. Okay. He beats the living snot out of the guy, winding up in jail and being bailed out by Malcolm Reynolds, who lets him know that he's in some serious shit as the guy he beat up was a cousin of a magistrate on Lilac. So Jane is less than worried about the magistrate and Malcolm breaks him out and they make a run for it, signaling the rest of Serenity's crew that even though they had not gotten the supplies they needed, they were going to have to make a hasty exit from Lilac. Hmm. So back on the ship, everyone is pissed at Jane, who's clearly the hothead of the group, because they already didn't have many credits, and went to Lilac because that was the cheap place to get supplies. And now they were going to have to figure out where they were going to get more supplies in a reasonable amount of money. Mm -hmm. So Jane mentions that there was another moon called Requiem that some of the other smugglers have been talking about. And it was supposed to be a smuggler's kind of den, so to speak. Okay. But it was near an uncharted slice of space, making it risky to try to find. Malcolm and Kaylee, who is now the Serenity's captain, are discussing Jane and how he was the one who got them into this mess and what Malcolm knows about Jane's character, that he would switch sides in an instant if he knew that it would benefit him. So as they're having this conversation, their ship is approached by ships from Lilac, of course, and knowing that they wouldn't be able to outrun them for long, they make the decision to try to find Requiem to outrun the ships. And they make it, and just as their fuel is on critical levels. But when they get there, instead of finding a moon full of thieves, they find that it is instead filled with religious monks. Hmm. So how are they going to get off of this moon now? (laughs) Yeah. So it was a really cool continuation of the Firefly story, and I really enjoyed that the focus was on Jane and that we got to see a bit more of his story instead of shining all of its light on Malcolm and Kaylee as the main characters. Mm -hmm. The story was also really interesting. I haven't seen Firefly in so freaking long like you and I were just talking about, but I, I felt right back at home with the characters and the story, and it felt really true to the spirit of the show. So, I mean, honestly, this would be really cool to film for television. Yeah, so this it sounds like it takes place after the movie Serenity since Yeah. Yeah. I think okay. so. Yeah, it's interesting. They've had several comic book tie-ins to Firefly, you know, since the show first aired and then ended. Yeah. It's really interesting to kind of see that continue to get fleshed out. Yeah. Well, it's I mean, it was such a huge fan favorite. And oh yeah. So many people were upset when it got canceled that it doesn't surprise me that it would have gone into yeah. kind of different forms of media at this point. 
Yeah, it's also interesting because I feel like it really took a hit because it was sort of like a passion project, I think, for Joss. And then like like Buffy the Vampire Slayer has become its own thing. But at the same time, Joss, like, you know, Joss is like, you know, kind of like woven into that DNA a bit where it's like, oh, it was created by Joss Whedon and all that. Firefly, I feel, is actually even more tightly intertwined with his persona than anything else, like for lack of a better term. Sure. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah, it's real interesting how he is suddenly persona non grata in entertainment in general, and people want nothing to do with him. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, you burn bridges. From what I understand, it's pretty justifiable. But uh, yeah, like it sounds like he was a creep. Yes, that is what it sounds like. Oh. All right. Well, on that note... I think that's it for our dollar bin discoveries this week. Next week, we will have a, another in-depth conversation about something, something who knows. And then two weeks from now, the week after that, we will have another dollar bin discovery that you guys can look forward to. But until then, we will see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us. So text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier and Mike Thompson, written by Jessica Frazier and edited by Mike Thompson. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan MacDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who's at lookmomdraws.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to TencentTakes.com or shoot an email to TencentTakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter for now. The official podcast account is TencentTakes, all one word. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Jessica is spelled with a K. And Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. You can also find us on Instagram, Mastodon, Facebook, TikTok, and Blue Sky. A full list of our socials will be listed in the show notes. You can also send us mail now. We are at P.O. Box 940 in Pengrove, California, 94951. And Pengrove is spelled P-E-N-N-G-R-O-V-E. Send us stuff. If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there. Support your local comic shop.